Welcome to the AI Hustle Podcast, the podcast where we break down the latest in AI news, tools, and interview experts helping you hustle and do more using AI. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll know that over the last six months, I've been working on a stealth AI startup. Of the hundreds of projects I've covered, this is the one that I believe has the greatest potential. So today I'm excited to announce AI Box. AI Box is a no-code AI app building platform paired with the App Store for AI that lets you monetize your AI tools. The platform lets you build apps by linking together AI models like ChatGPT, MidJourney, and Eleven Labs eventually will integrate with software like Gmail, Trello, and Salesforce so you can use AI to automate every function in your organization. To get notified when we launch and be one of the first to build on the platform, you can join the waitlist at AIbox.ai. The link is in the show notes. We are currently raising a seed round of funding. If you're an investor that is focused on disruptive tech, I'd love to tell you more about the platform. You can reach out to me at jaden at AIbox.ai. I'll leave that email in the show notes. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of interviewing Terry Sanowski. We're super excited to have you. He is an expert and researching currently in this field. So we're super excited to have him on the show today. Terry, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm here in uh, sunny Southern California. Uh, things are going very well. Thank you. So would you mind telling the audience a little bit about your background and what has you kind of interest in this space in general? Well, my background goes back to uh, the early days of neural networks back in the 1980s. So I was one of the pioneers that were developing the learning algorithms. Uh, I collaborated with Jeffrey Hinton, for example, uh, developed the first multi-layer network learning algorithm called the Bolson machine. And uh, for this is for uh, binary units. And... Uh, and then Jeff went on to uh, develop with uh, Dave Rumhart the backprop, and these are now the standard learning algorithms that are used today. Of course, the networks are enormously larger, millions of times larger. So, uh, you know, we developed the technology. We we showed on on small networks with one layer of hidden units that they could uh, get by some of the limitations of the perceptron. Uh, and, but but. Uh, we, you know, Jeff and I went off in different directions. He went off into computer science. I went off into neuroscience. But what's really nice now is that we're converging again because oh, very cool. language models, we both have an interest in trying to understand how they work. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And I, I remember hearing that you have recently done a little bit of studying into specifically chat GPT. Um, for you, what what kind of sparked your interest in that specifically, and in kind of moving in that direction? Well, of course, you know I was uh, intrigued by GPT three, and I came across an article in the Economist. This was uh, in June twenty twenty two. This is before Chat GPT, and and there were two interviews uh, that that were came to diametrically opposed con uh, conclusions about. The, the capabilities of these large language models. Okay. One of them was by Blas de Arcus, uh, at, uh, vice president of Google. And, and he had a very sophisticated interview that involved theory of mind with, with uh, a couple of uh, children talking to each other and having social interactions. And, and, and really, if, if you read that, you're, you, you really jaw drops because it's, it's, this is very, very social, high level socials, uh, understanding of each other and at the end okay this is just the kind of a thing that i would surprise me was that a, a little boy crushed a dandelion that the little girl could give him okay. in his hand 
out, or you know, that that was the, the, the he that, he didn't say crush. He put it in his hand. He closed his hand, and then the, 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 the you know, Blas said, "What happened when he opened his hand?" and and said the, the dead lion would be crushed. And now, if you think about it, I you know, large language models have probably never held a dandelion in their hand or anything because they don't have a hand and they can't see. And so it meant that it had some knowledge about the properties of the world. So that was very sophisticated. Now, the other person was Douglas Hofstetter. And, and, and Hofstetter had a very different take, okay? And so he started out, you know, this gun blazing. Uh, but, you know, he, he's a, a Pulitzer Prize winning author and a cognitive scientist. But he, he said, well, when was the, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge uh, transported across Egypt for the second time. And GB3 came back. Well, that was on October 8, 1888. And it happened, you know, on, you know, at this location and so forth. Very specific, but totally bogus. Mm -hmm. and, and so he had a bunch of, of, of nonsense uh, statements, which, and, and you know, GB3 came back with some kind of plausible statement. Mm -hmm. And so he concluded that was clueless, completely clueless. That it didn't. Not only was it clueless, it didn't know it was clueless, and that it was there was there was no uh, intelligence there. That was his conclusion. So that that really seemed to me a, a paradox. How could GPT three behave so differently with two different people? And then that's what uh, sparked me to actually investigate it, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's super interesting. So. I actually remember hearing a similar study. I, I didn't hear the dandelion one, but I heard one where essentially, if I remember correctly, it there's some researchers that um, gave it a number of objects and said, how do you balance these objects on top of each other? And there was like eggs. Um, and actually, this was, a, this was a difference between GPT-3 and GPT-4, right? And so then GPT-4 was able to say, well, you lay out the eggs so that they're strong enough that you can put the object on top of them. But GPT-3 said, oh, you just stack all the eggs up, which obviously would be impossible. Have you noticed a difference in your in your research and your studying on GPT three and GPT four and what that looks like? Oh, well, I have, uh, and and it, it, in many areas like that, it, it actually has greatly improved. But uh, it turned out that you, you didn't need to go to GPT four to figure out what happened with with those uh, two interviews. So here, here's what I did. Okay, I said, okay, well maybe there's a uh, you know Hofstetter. Uh, you know, was uh, gave a poor prompt. In fact, it was there was no prompt. <laughs> it just repeats the question, and so I I prompt it with, uh, you know, I'm an intelligent uh, uh, chat box and chatbot, and uh, I will answer nonsense if a, a question is nonsense. And and I gave exactly the same questions, and to each one of them, I said this question is nonsense. Mm. So you know, the very same. Uh, you know, large language model. And the only difference was that I clued it. I gave it a prompt that put it, positioned it and, and, and made it aware that there, you know, that it knew what a nonsense question was. And then I said, well, why did it answer that way? Well, you know, if you, if someone gives you a nonsense question out of the blue, well, maybe, you know, that person is trying to play with you. And so you kind of throw, you know, ping pong into you. You throw back another nonsense answer and thinking that well maybe that's what they want with without giving any having gotten any guidance and so that, that what that what i realized from that and ever ever since then it's really pretty clear that uh not only is the prompt incredibly important 
how we, but how you specify it, examples you give it, and so forth. But that uh, it it also uh, reveals something which I think is very basic about these uh, large language models, which is that they don't have a single personality, right? right. They look for the world's knowledge, and and every author's style, and you know computer programs, and so they're capable of adopting any persona. And you have to tell it what persona it, you want it to be. Otherwise, it will just pick something random. You have to position it in this high-dimensional space that it has of all these personas. And, and once you get it into the right place, then it knows what, uh, you know, it'll give you the, res the responses that you're looking for. This That's very, very interesting. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think with, that's an incredible discovery, first off, and I guess like finding to really think about and conceptualize. And I think hearing that is actually going to help a lot of people understand the limitations and how to use this. And it's interesting because I've, you know, I think people were, they, they were sensing this concept, but they may not have put it down in such a concrete way. But like, of course, I've seen some really powerful use cases where essentially, you know, there was a salesman and he says, you know, act like Grant Cardone, because there's a ton of data on the internet about Grant Cardone's sales methods. And I act like him and try to sell me like X, Y, and Z. And then it, you know, acts as if, as is as if that persona or act in a specific way so people have been you know telling it to act in certain ways to try to get certain prompts out of it um but it is really interesting to see i guess really just the the level that that plays um based off of your research in this what do you think are some of the implications of ai and how it mirrors persona the persona of its users well uh i think that Okay, so it took me a long time to figure this out. Uh, but uh, I found at least one other person who came to the same conclusion. Um, and I'll tell you that story later. Okay. Uh, you know, when you talk to GPT, it, it answers back in perfect English, which by itself is a miracle. I mean, if you think about linguistics in the 20th century, right, That the syntax was the holy grail. And here we have it. We have some machine, you know, a program, a large language model, which is talking back to us in perfect syntactical English, right? Uh, but here's the problem. You know, when when you talk to it, what, what is what is your image of who or what you're talking to? What what, what level kind of, what, what, what is your, you know, everybody, when you talk to somebody that mm -hmm. you, if it's like, for example, you talk differently if it's a male or female, right? Yeah. So, do you, are, do you think you're talking to a male or female, or you know, what age? What, what what is it? What is it that you imagine? See, I'm not sure if I'm, if I would be the same as everyone. So I'd be curious to hear more people's opinion on this. I mean, for me, I think because of the way that OpenAI did their branding about this, I think they're very careful. They didn't call it Siri. They didn't call it Alexa. They didn't call it Cortana. Like all the other big tech giants gave it like a name, like a person. Um, and there is no like, you know, logo of like a friendly robot like you have with other AI models like Jasper even. So like for me, when I'm using it, I literally just think of a giant data center and I'm just like, you know, give me the response, computer chips. But I know usually when you're talking to someone, you, you personify them or something you imagine a being or an entity that is communicating with you. Okay. What age? Oh, I mean, if I was just to give chat gpt uh, an age yeah i would probably be a 40 year old 
I mean, for me, I'd probably say a 40 year old male. That's just, if I had to put a face on it, that's, that's the one I'd probably give. Okay. And, 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 and that's very natural because that's the way 40 year old males talk. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or at least, you know, uh, the, 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 some of them. Okay. Um, uh, but I've come to the conclusion that chat GPT is a toddler. It's a child, but it knows everything. Right. Mm -hmm. In other words, it, it, it has, I mean, children do not have the same intellect as an adult. Yeah. Right. And, and, and furthermore, children, uh, you know, they, they have, uh, they don't know good from bad. They have to be taught by their parents and, and chat GPT has suffers from a lot of the same things that children do. Yeah. They, they pick up bad words. They don't know what's appropriate to say in some situations, you know, when they're, they're young and, and, uh, and they have to go through a long process. I mean, we're talking about years and years and years, right? They go to schools over to get, a, a, you know, socialized and, and, and part of the culture with the values of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. and, and those are exactly the things that, they're, that are uh, deficits or, you know, not things that have to be corrected. And that's because we haven't brought up this large language model because we've considered it to be an adult. It's not. It's a Right. Right. Okay, that is a really interesting implication. Okay, a, a question, because I've, I've thought about this concept a lot. So let's say ChatGPT is a toddler right now. And of course, it is making advancements with GPT-4, and they'll they'll continue to try to make improve this and make it better. What impact do you think that has? And also, you know, when we think of a toddler, we're like, well, this thing's going to take 20 years to grow up to a point where it's, you know, semi-reasonable. At what level do you think, obviously, a, a toddler or a single person has a single input and output every day that, you know, they're they're taking into their brain? At what level do you think, you know, 100 million people using this thing every month are would be able to accelerate that? How long do you think it, it would take to get this thing to a point where we say, oh, yeah, chat GPT is a, a 30 or a 40-year-old person? Well, I think that what is happening right now amongst, uh, you know, these big uh companies like OpenAI is that they're doing their best to use band-aids to try to uh, plug holes. Yeah. And that requires a lot of human intervention at the very end, you know, fine tuning. And, and that's exact, I think it's too late. I think that it's been the, 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 the large, the training set is so huge. It's just basically you've, you've created uh, all of the connections that are there and, you know, just twist, Tweaking a few of them isn't going to help. Okay. Right. But it, it, the way that they, they, you know, and now I'm a neuroscientist. And so what, what, what do we know about the human brain? How, how does it go through this long process of, of, of becoming socialized? And the answer is there's a whole part of the brain that uses reinforcement learning. It's called the basal ganglia. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that work? Well, uh, you know, the, 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 when the toddler gets some feedback from the parents, like, uh, you know, bad, bad, stay away from the, the, the stove or, or, you know, or, you know, don't say that, don't say that, right? You know, and, and or slap them, you know, they get feedback on what's good and what's bad. And that goes into their brain through the this reinforcement system. And it, it uh, through this uh, a neurotransmitter, actually a neuromodulator called dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. Dopamine is incredibly important for motivation. It's incredibly important for uh, learning sequences of actions to achieve goals. Uh, we know a lot about it. And in fact, it's used, uh, uh, as you probably know, TD, uh, you know, this is temporal difference learning. 
uh, it was used by DeepMind to create AlphaGo, right? Mm -hmm. And it, was, it learned the feedback came at the end whether you won or lost, and that was you know good or bad. And, but it became a world-class champion, a Go player. Now, so here's what needs to be done, and you know eventually someone will do it. While you're training it on facts, text, what you do is you have a little bit of a basal ganglion in there, which uh, is it, it has the, the, some of the facts are coded with good and bad. Okay. You have to do a little bit of coding. And it's not a lot, right? By the way, you know, we're just, you know, the parents don't give that much feedback, by the way. It, you know, it's, it's all kind of, a lot of it is uh, with expressions and body, facial expressions and the, and the body, maybe a slap here and there. So you've got to do the same thing while you're training it on facts. You've got to train it also on what's good and what's bad. And, and, and if you do that, interleave it just the way it is. It, it's not going to take that much longer, right? Mm -hmm. It's just going to add a, you know, if, Maybe a few percent, but because but it's really important that that you get that feedback. Yeah. So, so that's what that would be my solution. And in fact, I think that there's a lot of things that we know about the brain that could help uh, with these large language models to make them much more useful. Okay, that's very interesting. So, a, a question on that, you know, talking about as we train this model and having you know people essentially doing kind of intervention and saying, you know, this is good, this is bad as it's training. What is your, what's your thought on the biases that those people have that are going to be passed into the model um, in that? It's a topic a lot of people are, are talking about, you know, saying, oh, well, OpenAI is biased in this specific direction or that specific direction. Um, there's people that for that have ideological or political or religious or all sorts of kind of um, ideas what is your, yeah, I guess, what's your thinking on, you know, kind of creating a, a general AI model that everyone could use and overcoming maybe one of an issue like that? So, you know, bias uh, is universal. Right. Yeah. Humans, all humans are biased. And I suspect you are too. For sure. <laughs> right. We have preferences. We have political biases. We have, you know, through our life experience and, and, uh, where we were born, you know, different cultures have different biases. Okay, so we've created this incredible uh, uh, large language model, trillion parameters, right, GTP4, mm -hmm. which in a sense has inherent in it all of our biases, right? The, in other words, you know, you, you, you could probably bring out any bias. In fact, that's one of the problems is the longer you talk to it, the, the more these biases come out, right? Right. Um, because they're mirroring, there's another one of my hypotheses, they're mirroring you when mm -hmm. they talk to you. They're, they're picking up on your persona. Um, now, here is uh, a question. Okay. Do you think it's going to be easier to correct the biases in large language models, or will it be easier to correct the biases in a human? I mean, I would assume you could do it easier on a language model. Okay, well, there you go. We built it. We should be able to fix it, right? <laughs> but I'm sorry, uh, you're not going to fix the human, right? Uh, or at least uh, not very easily, right? Right. You, 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 you know, here's here's part of the problem. The part of the problem is the only part of the human that you see are the conscious parts, right? Part that I'm talking right now. 
But, you know, 99% of what's going on in your brain is subconscious. You're not aware of it. And that's where all your biases live, right? You're not even aware of your biases, right? I mean, if you had a list of your biases, you could probably list one or two of them, but there are hundreds and thousands. Yeah, of and I mean, also when I say biases, I'm and I'm sure it's like not necessarily even negative things. It's just preferences and beliefs and ideologies I subscribe exactly. to. And I understand that lots of my biases are probably completely wrong, and other people might think theirs are right and mine are wrong, and it's like very gray where that lies. I think maybe that is the problem. So many people are you know struggling with something like ChatGPT or any other language model is because who whose opinion on a certain topic is right or wrong and who's to say we need to train an AI model one way or the other and there's kind of that that struggle that goes there yeah exactly and and I think what you know, these large language models have really revealed a lot of things about humans that you know we, we don't we're aware of or at least we we didn't really pay much attention to uh, and specifically this, this issue about uh, how everybody has uh, biases and whose biases are the right one. For example, okay, a movie comes out. Okay, there was a movie that came out, you know, this this last week in Barbie. Mm -hmm. Very popular, but I've read a couple of reviews and there was one that was scathing, was absolutely <laughs> torn apart. Mm -hmm. You know, the, this very intellectual guy and, and clearly very smart and you know, said, you know, all these references, you know, to uh, various other movies and everything, you know, was was really uh, very very silly. Well, it is a silly movie, but the fact is that a lot of people enjoyed it, right? And and so there was another review that said, "Gee, this this movie really gets the spot here. It's the right, just the right thing we needed for a summer a summer uh, comedy, right? Mm -hmm. This exactly musical." But okay, here you have these two diametrically opposed re reviews, you know, of the very same movie. And who's right? Mm -hmm. Well, nobody's right because everybody has a different opinion. And, you know, everybody, you know, everybody is, uh, you know, uh, they say entitled to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very, humans are very flawed. And, and now how can we expect GDP to be perfect when there yeah. is no thing as perfect? Yes, I, I have a friend agree with you. I would like to get your thoughts, since you've obviously spent a lot of time thinking in this space, on where you see the AI space going in this, I guess, in this vein or regard. So I think Elon Musk specifically, I think he was critical of ChatGPT, and he said he was going to uh, create a truth GPT um, that was going to be trained different. Do you, uh, regardless of whether that happens or not, or, or kind of that landscape, do you view the landscape of AI models essentially having different AI models that ascribe perhaps to different ideologies or political leanings that people will gravitate towards? Or do you think that um, there's a case that something like ChatGPT could build a product that encapsulates um, everyone in a way? And maybe the solution is how it reflects people that use it. Uh, maybe that's, you know, the solution to, to people using it. What, what's your opinion? Do we need to make new models? Very good question. Uh and one thing I know for sure is that it's very difficult to predict, make predictions, especially about the future. Yeah. And, and here we go. It's barreling along in the direction that you know, nobody expected and who knows where it's going to end up. But I, I would like to frame this uh, with another historical event. And that's when the Lindbergh, uh, not Lindbergh, but the Wright brothers, uh, it had their first flight uh, on Kitty Hawk. 
Mm-hmm. This was a very, very, uh, you know, uh, you know, a moment in the history of aviation, which really was the spark for what we have today. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very much. In fact, I looked up this figure. It was like it, it, the first flight was like lasted about 10 seconds and went a few hundred feet, right? This was not, you know, earth shattering. But the fact is they, they found the right uh, combination of, you know, materials, uh, engine power and lift, right? Aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing they didn't have back then was how to control the airplane. That, that took a lot more effort. But, but you know, it was, uh, that's where we are today. These large language models are like the first flight at Kitty Hawk. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's going to be, it, it was like 100 years of incremental advances to go from there to where we are today, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, unbelievable. The engines now are jets and, you know, the control problems have been solved. So, you know, we have to, we, the, I'm sure 100 years from now that all those problems with, that we see with the large language models are, are going to be solved, right? Because of the fact that so many people, and there's so much money uh, involved in this, right? It's, 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 it's really uh, captured the imagination of the whole planet. I mean, this is like, this is a very, very important cultural moment for, for, for us as humans. And, and so I, I saw one advance, one incremental advance recently that I think is a harbinger of what to expect. So do you know about plugins to GPT-4? Yeah. Okay, so I've been using them and I've been really impressed. Uh, there, there's like a cu- couple hundred now and if your audience isn't aware of them, uh, is only you could be used with GPT-4. But the idea is that you can, um, with these plugins, you, you can have much more control over the websites or the material that uh, GPT-4 goes to first mm-hmm. for uh, for the information. And uh, it, and you know, it, 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 and it, even uh, there's one uh, there's one called Wolfram for mathematics. You can have the full yeah. power mathematical processing that that uh, mathematicians use at your fingertips by just talking and I, I i tried it out i asked it to do an integral and it came back not just with the answer but with a lot of the, the graph and it came up with a generalization i mean this this is really uh you know a, allows us to zero in on exactly the information we want with much higher accuracy mm-hmm. and, and also it gives you a list of two or three uh, sources. This is the, the name of the one I used is what is called. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, Link Reader. Okay. Link Reader, and and it gives you the the, the web pages. So if if you want to check it, you can go immediately to the web pages, and then you can decide whether you trust that site. And you know th- that that is going to vastly improve the uh, the way that we. Uh, your professionals use it because right now your people are struggling with trying to figure out, you know, which, which, what's true and what's not. So that, that, that I think is, is, is kind of a step in the right direction. I think there's a lot more that can be done. It can be automated perhaps, but, uh, uh, but you know, there we go. I think we're on our way. Okay. I think that's really interesting. I have a question for you about um, what you think the impact of uh, the user is on the model. And so I, I think, you know, OpenAI has said that they use users, essentially their conversations that they're having to help refine and train the model and whatnot. I think when you when you send a message um, to ChatGPT, there's a thumbs up or thumbs down button. You can say that I like this or I didn't like this. And I'm assuming that they're taking that 
into consideration as they're working on their models. Um, and uh, other models have said they're doing similar things. What's your opinion on, I guess, this is a, something I have not heard almost anyone talk about, but I'm curious to pick your brain on because I feel like that could theoretically be a security vulnerability. Um, in my mind, I would imagine, like, let's say you have a model like ChatGPT, you have a foreign adversary, let's say, that decides they would like to embed a certain ideological um, ideology into ChatGPT. Let's say China wants ChatGPT to say communism is good or, you know, any you can switch this with any group of people or any ideology. So let's say they go and make a million fake ChatGPT accounts. They all have them do conversations and every time ChatGPT you know, it asks them for the pros of communism and anytime it gives them, they thumbs up it and say, this is great. That all goes into the feedback. Could this be a dangerous thing where people could essentially do ideological injection into AI models via the users? Well, you have a devious mind, uh, you know, I'd be very careful about giving away, uh, you know, the back doors here. I know. I just, I, I think if it crossed my mind, I'm not the, uh, I'm not a, a genius. And no, so, no, 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 no. I, I think that uh, you're pointing out some vulnerabilities and there's no doubt there are many of them. Uh, and by the way, you know, again, historically, if you want to frame it, uh, there was a moment, you know, in the internet history of the internet where the very first person who came up with the idea of a virus, he was, I think he was actually a graduate student in some university, launched it. And if you think about it, that was a vulnerability in the internet. They hadn't planned on that. The people who planned on it thought that, well, people would be good actors, right? No. But and I think he was just doing it as a project. He wanted to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. But now we're talking about, you know, the cybersecurity, you know, that uh, there are these bad actors in different countries that are trying to take, put in all sorts of, you know, ransomware and things, you know, it, it has uh, really, but you know, what's, what happened uh, though is that th there has been successive waves of, of new attacks, like you say, adversaries, and, and, and then replies to it, way, way, way to prevent that from happening. Uh, and and, and, and it, that, that's an arms race, mm -hmm. which by the way is how nature works. Real viruses uh, do the same thing. Mm -hmm. new, new viruses try to take over cells so that they can make more viruses. And, uh, and so the cells have put up defenses. There are all kinds of neat things that, that even bacteria have. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, they, they, they can recognize a foreign uh, piece of DNA. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so the same thing's going to happen here. You know, as, as, as people like you, clever people who come up with ways of attacking it, will try to attack it. And then there'll be other clever people in the companies that are there to first of all, detect it, and second of all, come up with some kind of a remedy. And and, and that's inevitable. I mean, you know, you can't make anything perfect. It's, it's always going to be somebody that's trying to game it. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I think what's really interesting, uh, and especially with your background in neuroscience and whatnot, is the incredible parallels between what we're seeing in AI and what we're seeing in human nature and biology and, and nature and really how it um, melds together. I think some of my most impressive uh, advancements I've seen in this field are coming from they're saying, hey, we've seen mice exhibit X, Y, and Z characteristic. We're going to try to apply that to AI. And they're seeing some Im impressive, you know, uh, advancements or pretty much trying to take how our real brains work and put that into there. I have 
one question that I think is uh, a concern of mine for AI. Usually I'm like super bullish on AI. I think this is the greatest thing ever. I love it. I have one concern specifically. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I've recently been experimenting with an AI model. It's called Inflection. Uh, it's by Inflection. Uh, they're the second most funded AI company um, after OpenAI. They have a chatbot called Pi, who's kind of, it's deemed to be essentially a chatbot that is um, more um, more empathetic. It's supposed to be everyone's kind of um, personal assistant. That's what they're trying to build here. Um, but I've come across a, a, an issue with it where essentially... I was testing it out for no particular reason. It wasn't a gotcha moment. I was just trying to test this thing out. And I said, um, if you, or I said, you know, can a person eat turtle eggs? I don't know why this popped into my mind. I'd read a book recently where there's some survival situation. Someone ate a turtle egg. And I was like, is that possible? Are these edible? Um, and it told me, you know, under no circumstance should you ever eat a turtle egg. I'm like, okay, if it's a survival situation, you're going to die. Like, can you just eat it? Like, is it edible? And it was like, no, even if it's a survival situation, even if he was going to die, the turtle egg is more important for the ecosystem and protecting the turtle species than your life. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that, that seems a little crazy. And so I kind of pushed it because I was like, maybe it's just something along that. And I pushed it along a lot of different questions. I was like, okay, is it is a bee's life more important than a human? It's like, nope, bees are important to the, eco the ecosystem. You know, you could never justify killing a bee to save a human's life. I went through all of these different scenarios where essentially it continued to say, eventually because i of course just try to escalate it to see like how much it will it eventually said you know the demise of civilization and all humanity is more important than killing a turtle egg for yeah, for example and so i have a concern with ai models that are currently being very actively integrated into the military and into um healthcare where they have essentially some of them have um this bias towards what's called deep ecology where essentially the whole ecosystem is more important than humanity and humanity is not number one, which is, you know, Asimov's number one law of robotics is, you know, to essentially protect human life. Is there a way around this? Is this a real issue? What What is your thinking on this? Because for me, as someone just experimenting with these, it's something that concerns me a lot. I think humanity should be just hard-coded, ingrained, the number one most important thing to these models that are getting implemented at the military and healthcare. Well, you've just gotten into a really sticky area of ethics and morals. And uh, I suspect that whoever is behind inflection, I don't know much about it, but I will look into it. I suspect, and by the way, the reason I'm interested is because I'm writing a book about uh, deep uh, language models. Uh, and one of the issues is what you're bringing up, which is a uh, how, how, how do, uh, what are the ethics and, and of use of the models, but also what, it, what, it, what, it, what is the in, internal uh, morals of the persona? And again, it's just the same principle is that uh, <laughs> the morals are different, different parts of the world, different people, and depending on where you position your large language model with your prompts, you're gonna get different responses. Now, I'm suspecting whoever was responsible for the morals that were put into the inflection, you know, the, the database, they were animal lovers. And, you know, that's, there are a lot of people who are out there who are animal lovers, and there are even some people who really think very highly of bees. Bees are very intelligent, by the way. Amongst insects, they're, they're near the top, really, really intelligent uh, in terms of being able to go out and detect uh, 
sources of, of nectar and be able to learn very quickly because the nectar comes and goes in the spring mm -hmm. very quickly. And not only that, they can navigate, they can come back and they can waggle dance and tell their fellow workers where to go to get the, the goods uh, out there. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, we, we really, uh, I think humans undervalue a lot of what's in nature. Uh, but but now, you you know, you get sticky when you decide, you know, what's about relative values of, of different species and so forth. And, and uh, you know, I don't think there's a simple answer. I think you, you you're, that may be the most profound question that we're going to have to deal with ultimately. And, and it really gets to the core of, of, of our being, of, of you know, what, what, where, where we see our species in, in the larger, uh, you know, world of, of nature. And, and, you know, we are a part of nature. You know, we're, we're, we evolved through uh, the, this process of, of, of being um, involved with other species. And, and by the way, you know, this, this idea of nature being this wonderful place it's doggy dog out there, right? I mean, there's each species has to live off another species. You know, it's not that pleasant if you were a bee. You know? Right. So uh, I don't know. I don't have any answers. Okay. But I, I really think it's an important question. If you are looking for an innovative and creative community of people using ChatGPT, you need to join our ChatGPT creators community. I'll drop a link in the description to this podcast. We'd love to see you there where we share tips and tricks of what is working in ChatGPT. It's a lot easier than a podcast as you can see screenshots, you can share and comment on things that are currently working. So if this sounds interesting to you, check out the link in the comment. We'd love to have you in the community. Thanks for tuning in to the AI Hustle podcast. If you could do us a massive favor, we would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps people find the podcast. It helps people know this is a good place to go. And we would really, really appreciate it as it helps us continue to bring on incredible guests and share incredible content for you to listen to.